what is interesting um, about the, the entire setup is the, the kind of what's the right time to move into um, a bigger solution. And I think a lot of founders also, they are scared of the, when do I have to do that massive Salesforce project? It's gonna be very expensive, it's mm -hmm. gonna take three months and I need five developers to do that. And, and I don't really think it's true. So my advice is usually when you start, I actually prefer people starting with a smart Google Sheet, setting this up and really using this until it really, really starts to hurt. Because mm -hmm. usually that means you've kind of grown a decent customer base and you understand your processes a little bit. Project A Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Project A Podcast. Uh, my name is Florian Heinemann and I'm uh, one of the founding partners here at Project A. And I'm sitting here today with Christoph Rösler, who's our director sales uh, at Project A, uh, so leading our sales efforts. Um, and uh, what we want to talk about today, Christoph, is yeah, the, uh, some of the modern developments or, or modern B2B sales and the, the recent developments we, we've seen. Um, and you want to share some learnings with us um, because, I mean, if you look in our portfolio, yeah. we obviously invest more into B2B companies. Um, and we see that trend also overall because uh, I think what, what's, what's fair to say is that the likelihood of B2B companies um, becoming successful from Europe or from Germany is probably higher or has become higher now relative to, to trying to, to build large B2C businesses, uh, yeah, also a lot more capital efficient. And, and I think a very interesting um, area has also been, and we've also invested in it, not only us, but also others. It's like the whole um, intersection between industry-related companies and, and digital. So a lot yeah. of, of stuff is emerging there, but also in other, in other businesses. So sales has become really, really important. You're heading um, our effort there. Um, could you yeah, just describe some of you know, what, what is probably one of the biggest changes that has been introduced through things like LinkedIn, more digital means to do B2B sales? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think in general we've seen quite a shift in what people think of sales mm -hmm. um, over the last, let's say, three to five years. It's probably been one of those functions within a company that has, has had a bit of a negative reputation mm -hmm. uh, with uh, those car, car dealers and uh, the fallback people ringing at your doorbells. Uh, and I don't think that's um, that's what it is anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So especially through, I think one one factor was um, new channels mm -hmm. like LinkedIn, Xing not so much, maybe mm -hmm. trying hard, but not mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. being there, but also simply the availability of information online and how this has affected the buying behavior of customers. So mm -hmm. there's been a lot of studies in the last couple of years, actually that um, people don't really want to be approach proactively mm -hmm. at any time of their buying process, but they actually look for a lot of information themselves and then want to be able to connect with the salespeople at the right time. So mm -hmm. you have to really be able to switch in your overall acquisition process between the digital self-service channels and one-to-one -one personal uh, support and conversation with your customers. Mm -hmm. And I think this has been quite a challenge for companies who've come from a you know, performance-driven digital marketing approach mm -hmm. and combining this with what used to be people driving around uh, in their cars uh, and being not the most efficient channel to talk to people, I guess. Mm -hmm. So would you say it's, it's fair to say that um, yeah, marketing and, and digital lead gen 
uh, and and like traditional sales is kind of merging and and like they're meeting at some point in the customer journey, um, and, and and basically the but the two areas have to be a lot more interconnected than they've been in the past or now they could be. So yeah. is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we see this in in most of our SaaS companies mm-hmm. that uh, marketing and sales is very closely con- closely connected to each other, and I also believe that we have now come to a point uh, where we think that is actually one customer acquisition function that should also probably be under one person uh, mm-hmm. on a C-level. Um, and it's not just about lead generation and then handing over to sales and not being in touch with that person anymore, but it's actually going back and forth along the customer journey. So we also have a lot of companies who basically try and automate steps further down the funnel with drip campaigns, with reactivations and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's then also sales uh, doing lead gen stuff still, like mm-hmm. events, fairs, and those kind of uh, process steps within a funnel. Um, could you talk a little bit, I mean, you said people are looking for information themselves. I mean, that's kind of the most natural way to learn about a certain service or product. Uh, so that basically implies that the marketing slash sales department, which is as now should become, uh, has to do content marketing, yeah. uh, basically. Um, where does it usually sit? I mean, who produces the content most efficiently? Um, can you share some learnings there? Yeah. Um, so I think um, probably the actual content production should still sit with marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what you have to make sure is that the creation of content is also somewhere on the radar of the salespeople. Because what we have seen, the best content actually comes from existing customers. Mm-hmm. And when you want to do something like a case study or a white paper together with your customer, it's actually very hard to do that one year down the road. Mm-hmm. But you actually have to start talking to the customer in the acquisition process about also measuring the current situation so that you can then say after six months, this is how we improved on the re- relevant KPIs. And I think mm-hmm. when this is not really um, yeah, basically handed over into sales and connected to sales, it's very hard for the content people in marketing to, to get that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using that information in sales also makes a lot of sense. So we've, we've learned that using stuff like white papers and then setting up sales-focused events around that, around mm-hmm. launching such products uh, can actually be a super interesting channel for really high-quality leads. Mm-hmm. But do you still need like offline salespeople, basically, in, in, in a certain way, and, and, and when? Or could you just yeah. do this all stuff, just digital, yeah. digital get people on LinkedIn, uh, get them to download a white paper, and then invite them for a webinar, and then that's it? I mean, is that, is that something that's, that's feasible more and more? Or does traditional sales still have a role and will it still have a role and in which cases yeah so i I still think it has a role Mm -hmm. um, and there are probably two kind of dimensions that you have to think along and Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is the stage um, your company is in right now Mm -hmm. because i mean for no touch digital sales to work you really really have to understand your customer Mm -hmm. your product and kind of your product market fit Mm -hmm. and figuring this out is probably something um, that you have to do by talking to people Mm -hmm. so i think in the initial product market fit phase you're really focusing on customer success and you can only figure this out if you're talking to people both during but also after acquisition and then when you move into the next stage which is kind of the go to market fit Mm -hmm. so it's more about how can i actually um, have efficient unit economics when we acquire customers, it's still something where you cannot automate everything yet. So mm-hmm. I think in the third phase, when you're actually trying to grow and scale, this is when the um, automated, no-touch kind of sales model becomes more relevant. Um, and then you still have to think about what kind of product am I selling? Because the more complex a product is, the harder it will certainly get to just sell it on a website. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen is that um, 
contract values, so average contract values within your company are probably a good indicator of what kind of mm -hmm. sales model you can use. Um, and there are probably three sales models that you can differentiate. The first one is the completely no-touch digital sales mod model that everybody would like to do, mm -hmm. um, but it's probably not, not feasible for contract values that are much larger than, let's say, $25,000 or something like this. Mm -hmm. um, and even then, you really have to understand your customer and how you set, set this up. Um, and then the second step is that you do have personal interaction, but it's more on a remote basis. So the classic inbound sales model using a lot of phone calls, but also um, product demonstrations via online demos and so on and so forth. This is probably possible somewhere between 25 and if you're good, up to 80, 100K. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything above this is really, really hard in our, in our understanding to um, sell even remotely. So people expect you to be on site. They want to see a face because it also generates trust. Mm -hmm. And if you're putting down a few hundred thousand dollars on a company, you probably have to somehow see the other side. And there's still the saying that it's been around in sales for a long time that um, most buyers, they tend to buy from people and not mm -hmm. from companies. Mm -hmm. So I think the personal relationship really helps. Uh, at least in that kind of contract value. I mean, maybe that changes over time. I mean, we've yeah. seen it in B2C yeah, that people, I think, buy things today where you wouldn't have thought that would be possible in, 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 yeah. in, uh, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah? So, I mean, in China, it's even more advanced. People buy Maseratis yeah. without having seen them before. <laughs> so let, yeah. let, let's see. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, what, what, what will happen? I mean, you hear about these stories on first dips and whatever that people buy houses they've never yeah. visited before. So occasionally, but I, I would say on average, that's probably still true. Yeah. But I guess the barrier will shift towards digital e-gen and, and uh, yeah. um, like or more digitalized uh, type of sales. And, and that's probably one thing that, you know, sales departments of today or yeah. modern sales department really need to embrace yeah. and really understand. Can you talk a little bit about digital e-gen? I mean, we, we, you, you touched LinkedIn. That That is definitely... Uh, apart from being a network, uh, a yeah. social network for, for business is probably one of the most efficient digital lead gen engines that, yeah. that, that are around. Anything other, uh, other digital sales lead gen channels that, that you could think about? Absolutely. So hmm? I still think the, um, the classic B2C lead gen um, channels, they become more and more, um, more, more important also mm -hmm. for B2B sales. So mm -hmm. we do have a lot of companies that basically have classic Google AdWords mm -hmm. um, as their um, main lead gen channel. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's usually very long tail focused, very targeted, um, and there's not a lot of search volume on those mm -hmm. kind of um, terms. But people who are already searching for very specific solutions, they're probably a little bit further down their buying uh, mm -hmm. decision than uh, very broad terms. So even if there's not a, not a massive amount of, um, of traffic, the traffic that you get is really high quality, and you can usually engage with them quite quickly in advanced uh, sales discussions. So mm -hmm. this is still highly relevant, I would say. Um, and then um, obviously any kind of platform that you can use uh, to share content um, and kind of generate the trust that we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. um, is, is feasible. So especially in the US, I don't think it's as true in Germany yet. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook can be really, really relevant mm -hmm. um, channel. So we, uh, one of our companies uh, that's based on the East Coast, it's Clara. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, I think even their main digital channel is actually Facebook. Mm -hmm. So they're selling to doctors. They're all on Facebook. They all have their kind of job profiles on there. So you can target them really easily. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a perfectly um, fine channel to generate high quality leads. I think that's a very good point because I think uh, if 
you look at the click prices, the average click prices on yeah. LinkedIn tend to be really high. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so and on Facebook, they tend to be lower. I mean, they're increasing, but they tend to be lower. And often uh, people have a similar information on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it's a little more blurry probably. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> but uh, but I mean, if you look at the lower click prices on average, it can still be, be worth it. And especially for things like retargeting, uh, where it doesn't really matter, you know, where people originally came from. But if you can retarget them on Facebook, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what's like with classic cold calling? I mean, does do people, yeah. I mean, I still receive calls uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for uh, is, is that still something that, that, I mean, obviously it's not allowed, but is, yeah. do, is that something that people do in our portfolio? Does it yeah. still work? Uh, can you can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? So mm-hmm. uh, I still uh, I think it is still a valid channel, mm-hmm. um, but it is definitely an expensive channel. So mm-hmm. I think that's what people have to think about. Actually mm-hmm. having pe- people sitting there full day on the phone Mm -hmm. and do I mean they are running against a a couple of closed doors in Mm -hmm. their day so Mm -hmm. um, actually getting through let's say sales qualified lead Mm -hmm. from cold call takes a lot of money so Mm -hmm. it's first of all I think um, something that you can only do with higher contract values Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also something that you would probably have to do or what you kind of have to do sometimes with products who aren't clearly on the radar of of buyers yet Mm -hmm. so when you are um, selling solutions that are quite innovative, not as widely spread yet, you do have to push people into the direction a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the classic push channels that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, um, I think, quite challenging to set up in the right way because it's very hard to find good, motivated people who mm-hmm. like to do cold calls mm-hmm. full day. Um, and who stay motivated. And then who stay <laughs> motivated and don't leave after a couple of months. So mm-hmm. um, uh, from an organizational perspective, it is quite challenging, I would yeah. say. But there's a lot of people who do it, even yeah. in our portfolio still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, but that's probably one thing one could do better. In the yeah. sense, uh, I think smart digital lead gen will probably lead to cheaper leads yeah. and produce less churn or collateral yeah. damage on the way. Uh, yeah. So be, because I think that's also something that people often don't consider in a fair way. It's like the collateral damage you, you cause with too aggressive uh, sales yeah. techniques. Probably one one thing that you could also try or that that is probably also feasible is, is GDN like Google yeah. Display Network. I mean, there's very specific sites that you can can reach there, so that that might work. I mean, some people make uh, good experiences with programmatic advertising, mm-hmm. but it's very obviously very uh, specific. But I think yeah. if you don't if you haven't nailed LinkedIn and you haven't nailed Facebook, yeah. it probably doesn't make sense to like to do too crazy yeah, too not. crazy <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, w- one thing that's that's probably also interesting um, uh, here is um, when you when yeah I mean coming to to what we try to do for our portfolio yeah. companies yeah so uh, I mean our model here at Project A is that we basically say okay uh, we invest in, in companies and, and at the same time we try to help and and I mean you are heading basically the digital sales or the, the sales efforts in, in, in that regard um, let, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the type of projects we, we do uh, because I think they, they touch some of the current uh, no. problems that, that we have in sales that that should be should be relevant also to others and and I think one one key thing and I think that merges perfectly or that, that uh, basically uh, fits perfectly to what you said earlier I mean one of the big problems is that the the, the requirements of sales organizations have, have changed tremendously you know, yeah. because what used to be 
straight enterprise sales uh, is now not as straight anymore because there's various options that, that you might take in your, your sales approach. So the variability of, of people that you need in your sales organization have, have increased. So one of the key focuses uh, of the projects that we do with, with um, portfolio companies is to find the right kind of sales organization. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what, what we do there and, and what are the challenges? Why is it so hard? I mean, some people even say it's harder to find good salespeople than it is to find good IT people. And uh, not only in Germany, where you might yeah. say, okay, the Germans per se is probably not the sales personality, but also internationally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So this is probably one of the, the main pain points that, that we hear when we talk to founders about how we can help them. Mm -hmm. um, they say, well, I, I don't find enough good salespeople mm -hmm. anywhere. It's not just Germany and Berlin. It is really an international problem, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and when we've actually come to the conclusion that um, I think now, because of the, the changes that we've had in the last couple of years, there are simply not enough skilled software as a service salespeople out there who've been doing this for a couple of years. You can basically just hire, mm -hmm. put them in your office, uh, and off they go and they start generating revenues for you. Mm -hmm. But you actually have to start a little bit earlier mm -hmm. um, and start hiring people um, who maybe don't have experience in sales yet, but who are willing to go into that uh, department and then really invest um, a lot of time in onboarding and training. Mm -hmm. So what, what we are doing... So you go more by potential than by actual experience. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, actually what, what we are doing um, is that we um, are not looking at necessarily the same industry and finding mm -hmm. experienced salespeople there, but mm -hmm. we are looking at neighboring similar industries. Mm -hmm. Or what also works quite well is looking at people who are in your customer's industry or in your, mm -hmm. uh, basically on the customer side because they, they understand the customer pain points, they understand mm -hmm. the overall market. Um, and then you have to look, I think, for three main uh, criteria uh, when you choose those people. The first one is um, coachability. Do you believe that they are actually willing and able to learn the skills that you want to give them in the next couple of months? The second one is that um, they do have to have a, a certain sense of competitiveness. I think that's something uh, that you have to have in a salespeople. And it doesn't mean that they need to be aggressive, but you need those kind of people that like to win. Mm -hmm. And I actually, uh, when I look at, at a CV uh, for salespeople, I tend to look at the extracurricular uh, mm -hmm. activities quite a bit. And having people on there who've, I don't know, won the sailing regatta when they were 18, <laughs> or tennis championship within their club, mm -hmm. that's something you, you know when they, when they basically focus on something, they also want to become mm -hmm. the best. Mm -hmm. And especially with sportsmen or sportswomen, um, they tend to be fair at the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's usually... At least to a certain degree. At least <laughs> to a certain degree. Not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the third one is obviously they have to be able to communicate quite mm -hmm. well with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when, you, um, when you've set up a recruiting process that it actually covers this, mm -hmm. um, which needs a little bit more time. So when we hire sales trainees for Project A, mm -hmm. we do two-hour uh, assessments with them where they present something, where they pitch something. We give them feedback straight away and then have them do it again to test for things as coachability. How do they, how do they react to this? Mm -hmm. When you've done this, then you do have to invest, and I'm sorry to tell you, you do have to invest more than five days in onboarding. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's probably more uh, like three months mm -hmm. of actual f more or less full-time training. Obviously, some of that is self-study. But it's really worth it in our experience and give those people the right tools um, and the right understanding to, to become salespeople. 
but you at least need one person or one like somebody that's yeah. able to to do this training i mean we do that sometimes for for our ventures right so yeah. but uh, if you want to do it on your own yeah. uh, you should at least hire somebody that's that's able to guide this kind of effort but uh, the, the experience probably is yeah. to rather focus on hiring one or two very good people and they train the rest based on their exactly. potential yeah. rather than trying to find five, ten people um, yeah. with this kind of skill set. Yeah. That's often the, the, probably the better and the cheaper yeah. and the more efficient approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you've well, not more efficient, but probably more effective. In yeah, the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having someone who's dedicated on this, some, something like a sales excellence position makes sense, I think, quite early. Mm -hmm. um, if you cannot afford a full FTE for that yet, I would really, really push my head of sales or whoever's heading the, the acquisition department to invest a lot more time than they usually do in training and making sure the people are, uh, are following the right procedures. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's the, the job of the head of sales as well to, mm -hmm. to um, a certain extent. And um, I mean, basically, when you when you run these projects with with our ventures, the goal is like how long how long does it take usually to build a sales organization? If you start with one person to to run this whole show, I mean, how how long does it take from your experience to have a fully functioning sales kind of machine uh, yeah. working well and and being able to to you know work on their own without our help? Um, so I would I would probably say um, if you're really starting from scratch. So let's let's say you found product market fit and you're starting to go into the um, into the scaling bit. Um, I would say it does take around six to nine months, mm -hmm. um, depending on the resources obviously that are available on, on the on the company side. Um, so we do both. We do this, the sales trainings ourselves, mm -hmm. but we also design the onboarding and training structures and processes, creating the material and making sure that our companies basically become self-sustainable in doing that. So it's more like a train-the-trainer approach mm -hmm. than us going in there every week and training new, new people. Mm -hmm. I mean, one element that, that's often problematic in sales is the high churn. I mean, you yeah. talked about it already. Uh, and one element uh, that could help, I mean, it's, uh, it's probably also a millennial problem a little bit, but it's also uh, something that one could approach with, with having like set career paths, etc. Yeah. What is like a standard, a typical career path? Um, uh, does it make sense to establish uh, this early? How does it look like? Um, can you can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, um, so that, that's um, a very interesting topic, and mm -hmm. it's also quite broad because a lot of people actually do it in a way that um, salespeople basically progress to, along the sales funnel. So mm -hmm. you start in the sales development team, maybe trying to set meetings and initiating first contact with potential customers. Then you become a sales manager, and then you become a account manager, key account uh, manager, whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't believe that this is necessarily the best solution, mm -hmm. because I think those steps require very different kind of people. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is that we set up um, career paths that are actually uh, split into many different seniorities. Mm -hmm. So we um, we call those micro promotions. Mm -hmm. um, this means that within a sales department there could be eight, nine, or even ten different seniority mm -hmm. levels, and people progress actually quite quickly mm -hmm. through those. So it could be that you are promoted every seven months if you're really performing well. Mm -hmm. um, and with every promotion, two things happen. Um, you do get a little bit more money, mm -hmm. but more importantly, your variable component actually increases. So people are even more incentive to, to perform really well. Um, and you're also talking to either bigger opportunities or better qualified opportunities. 
and this kind of it's it's basically the idea is gamification of the um, of the entire promotion process, um, and this has led to I think better retention uh, in in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a yeah sounds like a very interesting topic. I mean we cannot go too deep, but. Uh, Uh, one one other um, type of projects we've we've seen, and I think that's also a very interesting uh, kind of kind of approach, is when you have lots of customers, uh, very heterogeneous. How do do you identify the right ones to to basically uh, deal with in person and then have like some kind of dedicated account manager? And that's also something we, we've worked on because I think the the problem with digital lead gen is. You don't see the person. You don't know whether it's a big company, small company. At first, I mean, you can somehow you know qualify the lead. But can you talk a little bit about how we approach, uh, how we make uh, basically digital lead gen less blurry and more more data driven, and and what's the process and the the systems behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So this is those kind of projects are usually the ones where we work quite closely with our business intelligence department mm -hmm. and also the data science team, which lies within our data team, um, and what we are trying to do it, what we've done in the past is that you first of all you try to identify the valuable customers as early as you can mm -hmm. um, and there's probably two routes that you can take uh, one is investing in external data to really enrich the information that you have Contorion, so one of the companies which we sold by now mm -hmm. has done this quite successfully that they've basically acquired all customers via e-commerce so mm -hmm. performance marketing sea mainly um, and then um, after the first order They basically enrich that information with an external data source, mm -hmm. um, and if they were, I think in this case was Infoscore. Was um, yeah, I think it was oh. Info. I'm, I'm, not, oh, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, but somebody like Infoscore. Yeah, exactly. Somebody yeah. like Infoscore. So mm -hmm. it's publicly available. You have to pay for that data, yeah. but it's publicly available. Mm -hmm. uh, you actually get a CSV file, and you can even merge it into a data warehouse. So the process was um, quite quite automated, mm -hmm. and we would then basically split them up into um, customers that would only get automated CRM mailings to trigger the next uh, the next order, and the large the large customers with a lot of potential. So you, we use stuff like how many employees do they have, what's kind of the um, the legal structure of the company, mm -hmm. um, and so on. They would be handed over to a sales department that would then do an onboarding call with them. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one um, one one possibility. Um, another possibility that we did with online printers, mm -hmm. which is one of our private equity co-investments. So they already have a lot of internal data uh, mm -hmm. because they have hundreds of thousands of customers, um, which use their own database um, to um, identify which of the customers are interesting and should be um, contacted by the account management team and which companies aren't. Mm -hmm. And we used a yeah, machine learning approach that utilize data like which marketing channel did they come through, what kind of shipping process did they choose, how did they pay for their order, what was the uh, products they choose, product value, and so on and so forth. And we're actually able to identify uh, more than 99% of the high potential customers after two weeks um, of their first first order. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so um, the, the one approach is basically focusing on new ones coming in yeah. and, and the other one would also include if you have a large customer yeah. base already somehow, but it, it's basically the same methodology, it just applies to different or a similar type of methodology, but it applies to different customer sets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, and that help a bit, like, do you really need like a kind of data science mega expert or is the statistics behind this? quite uh, quite easy to do that I mean could an average startup do that themselves yeah. or is yeah. it something that's that's highly complex from from your experience of what you've seen um, like the models behind it yeah so uh, I think the contrarian approach was, was actually something they implemented when when they were quite small still mm -hmm. so 
really thinking about how can I get more information, more data points, mm. data points from the customers that I have. Yeah. That's something that I mean, it's not expensive. Anybody can do that. Yeah, anybody yeah. can. You do have that. to pay for it, but anybody can do yeah, it. Yeah, and it's not that expensive. Yeah. Um, and uh, then you you use more heuristics than machine machine learning in mm. that case. So saying something like if they have more than one thousand employees. Yeah. It probably makes sense to call them mm -hmm. and what you then have to make sure is that you have the right tooling infrastructure in place that you can track did something come out of that or was mm -hmm. it called a waste of time and mm -hmm. then basically iterate uh, on your heuristics so and i think that's a very imp important point that if you try out things yeah. that you actually are able and i think that that's probably one key learning not only in sales but <laughs> every, anywhere else if you try things out yeah. have the right kind of setup that you are actually able to track uh, in a reliable way what actually came out and and, yeah. and compare it Uh, and there's a lot of A/B tests in that kind of format. Yeah. I, 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 I think yeah. where, where this has not been yeah. warranted for. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the second case where we actually we did use a, a data scientist, mm -hmm. quite an experienced guy, um, mm -hmm. who came up with a, a tree boosted algorithm. Um, that actually took more time on the conceptual side than on the machine learning side. So mm -hmm. thinking about what do we try what. What are we actually trying to do and what mm -hmm. could be potential signals that have a, a correlation with size or potential of the customers that probably took longer than building the actual uh, machine learning algorithm so mm -hmm. I'm, i'm quite sure that um, the person who did it didn't take longer than two weeks for mm -hmm. the first version to come out yeah um, and i think that's one one key learning also that a lot of the methodology and a lot of the tools are available within Amazon Redshift or the Google BI tools yeah. and Amazon also yeah. offers like you know pretty simple machine learning kind of uh, um, or ex pretty accessible machine learning tools or data analytics tools that you can access even without having hardcore data science knowledge it's more about kind of the conceptual model yeah. or the conceptual methodology that you that you want to use more than about the advanced yeah. kind of statistics that that's yeah. behind it so i think that that's yeah. that's one key key learning um, so the moment you've identified so so the key here was to to identify customers that have more potential than what you're currently getting or identify the customers that are coming new and where you basically say okay we need to apply a different approach to these kind of customers what what happens next i mean you've identified now yeah. I don't know, 10% of the customers. What what what's now the the, the best practice with yeah. with those kind of high potential customers? So what, what we try to do in, in those kind of businesses, and again, those are businesses that have a lot of small B2B customers, and then a few big ones. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. um, what we're trying to do is basically give them a very very good onboarding. So this mm -hmm. is why we're also calling this an onboarding call. Mm -hmm. You're basically trying to build a personal connection with that customer. But you're also trying to get again more information on that person because you do have um, your algorithm saying this is probably uh, an interesting customer. But I think it's still worthwhile to to also give them some quali qualitative um, information and not just the pure forecast that came out of the BI black box, so mm -hmm. to say. Um, so really talking to them, understanding what kind of their um, their, their needs are, deducting from this. The share of wallet. So I think mm -hmm. this is very important to understand when you have a, a potential customer, how much of that potential is already spent with us and how big is the remaining um, share of wallet that you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are probably, there's a phase where you develop that customer, so you track it quite closely. You even maybe do monthly calls to, to connect with them again. But at a certain stage, you don't necessarily want to do too much personal service mm -hmm. because otherwise it doesn't really scale. Mm -hmm. If you really grow, Uh, you don't want your account management team to, to grow in parallel with mm -hmm. your revenue, right? So at that point, um, I think you have to start 
looking into um, something like churn prediction mm -hmm. or a very good monitoring mechanism mm -hmm. um, to understand is the customer developing as we want want them to develop mm -hmm. or are they turning into a more negative trend mm -hmm. and then basically re react upon this before they churn, ideally. Mm -hmm. And I think churn prediction is, is a good point. I mean, that's probably also a very good area where you can you actually yeah. use machine learning or AI yeah. um, to, to help you find or identify potential customers. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, like to my understanding, very similar approach to under, yeah. uh, identifying the ones that have a lot of potential. So probably you, you don't enrich it with external information, but here it's more about you know, interpreting the right signals, yeah. whether a customer um, starts to, you know, buy somewhere else. Um, and, and I think identifying that is, it could also be a very interesting application for machine learning. But again, I think what, what the point, I, li I like the point a lot, what, what you said is it's not about fully automizing the whole process, but it's more about guiding or aiding a human being to yeah. identify a certain situation, yeah. in this case, a potential customer or turning customer, and then basically uh, that person has to do some work, yeah. him or herself, to, to give the whole thing a little more context. Yeah. Uh, but I think machine learning can really help to identify, but it, yeah. it, it will not. it's not an end-to-end -end solution. And I think that's what you find quite a lot in, in AI, yeah. applied AI companies right now, that it's not about fully automizing things, but it's more like a hybrid approach between yeah. AI and you know a human being using the information and being guided by by the machine learning model and that way becoming more efficient but it's not about fully optimizing the process it's more about making the process and the human being more productive and yeah. more efficient yeah, and I think that's yeah. a very typical example for that no, yeah exactly so it's more about flagging an account and mm -hmm. say maybe you can look deeper into this one that than already triggering a fully automated communication chain or something mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that, that I want to touch on um, or touch upon is, I mean, we very strongly believe here in path dependency at, at Project A, so we believe that you know, if you have a shitty setup, uh, you will continue on a shitty path. Yeah, yeah. that's path dependency. And uh, uh, the other way around, obviously, as well, if you have a good setup, the chances of you, you know, developing in a, on a good path, um, on a strong growth path are, are higher. And I think one element of that is, is definitely the sales infrastructure. Yeah, so um, do you have the right infrastructure in place to really enable your growth and to so you support your growth and not hamper your growth? I mean, you've been involved in, in quite a lot of infrastructure projects yeah. uh, with, when it comes to, you know, new startups, figuring out the, the infrastructure. What, what is kind of the typical kind of setup that you will find also to support the kind of world that we just said, you yeah. know, merging of online lead gen and, and, and traditional sales? How does it typically look like? What kind of uh, systems do you evaluate based on what criteria? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So. Mm -hmm. I think also again to maybe start with the stage of the company, what mm -hmm. we usually see is that most companies start with something very basic. Mm -hmm. this, could, this could be a Google Sheet or an Excel Sheet or something like this. Mm -hmm. And then most companies go into a off-the-shelf, easy-to-use CRM system. Very often, so I'd probably say 80% of the companies that we have here are using Pipedrive in mm -hmm. an early stage, mm -hmm. which is a, a very good system. So they've got a very nice interface, mm -hmm. a lot of pre-set reportings and those kind of things. Mm. We also use it for our deal flow, actually. We use it for our deal flow. We also yeah. use it internally uh, mm. for some of our communication. So mm. it is a good good, uh, mm -hmm. good point to start, definitely. Mm -hmm. But we then um, usually run uh, into issues with this when your sales become a little bit more complex. And this could be from an organizational standpoint. This could be that you have several pipelines because you're selling to different kind of customer groups. Mm -hmm. um, and also when it comes to things like um, automation mm -hmm. and 
integrating with your marketing solution. And I think that's where uh, your question also leads that uh, especially in those very digital sales uh, processes, you will most likely end up in a situation where you're using one marketing automation solution and one sales solution. Mm -hmm. um, and most common uh, are probably HubSpot mm -hmm. marketing cloud. There's a HubSpot sales cloud as well. We do see HubSpot and Salesforce mm -hmm. or Pardot and Salesforce. So Pardot is kind of the HubSpot marketing uh, mm -hmm. com competitor from, from Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that all three solutions um, are decent. So in general, I would say the, I mean, HubSpot obviously comes from the marketing side. So mm -hmm. I think their marketing solution is really good and their sales solution, it's still- And by marketing, you mean digital lead gen support. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and their sales uh, CRM solution is probably a little bit behind what, what Salesforce can do. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side, Pardot is mm -hmm. probably a little bit behind uh, the marketing solution that comes from HubSpot. Mm -hmm. um, But it's a very it's a very good tool already. It's also slightly more expensive. I think mm -hmm. it's also something that early stage companies look at. Mm -hmm. But all combinations work because they also natively integrate with with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and Pardot is like part of Salesforce, right? But they have been acquired by Salesforce. Exactly. So it has not been like organically developed to yeah. meet or to match with the uh, Salesforce uh, CRM. Yeah. But it's it has been an acquisition, and they somehow you know, uh, make it work with yeah. uh, integrated, but it's not yeah. it's not a seamlessly kind of built as one piece of the Salesforce overall, overall solution. No, no, yeah. it's not. But mm -hmm. I think they've 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 done quite a good job at integrating mm -hmm. it. Okay. So they do integrate slightly better than HubSpot and Salesforce do, obviously, because mm -hmm. HubSpot still is another uh, yeah. another company. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, both both are, uh, are good solutions. Um, and I think what is um, what is interesting um, about the, the entire setup is the the kind of what's the right time to move into um, a bigger solution. And I think a lot of founders also they are scared of the when do I have to do that massive Salesforce project? It's going to be very expensive. It's mm -hmm. going to take three months, and I need five developers to do that. And and I don't really think it's true. So my advice is usually when you start, I actually prefer people starting with a smart Google Sheet, setting this up. And really using this until it really, really starts to hurt. Because mm -hmm. usually that means you've kind of grown a decent customer base and you understand your processes a little bit. Because what some what some people do is that they then move into a easy to set up CRM. And this will last a little bit longer than your Google Sheet. But then migration can actually become really painful. Because then you are at a stage that there's a lot of data in there. And you've probably already tweaked the system, hacked a little bit around its limitations, and maybe even... Um, compromised on your data quality a little bit and that's usually the, the, the expensive and also frustrating part is not setting up the Salesforce or the, the new CRM system but actually migrating your old information it sometimes makes up 60-70% of the work and money spent in those migration projects yeah. um, so when people actually manage to get really far in a Google Sheet and then say okay and now we set up a big solution that will last probably for the like next couple of years um, I think that might be a better way because you can also set up HubSpot and Salesforce uh, in a very lean way. They do come with a predefined setup when you buy them mm -hmm. and you can then basically adopt and improve the system uh, along the way. So I think it also uh, matches perfectly with, with what we said earlier about path dependency. So yeah. I think it really makes sense to, to say, okay, if you want to go, uh, if you want to you know, move, move your company On, on a more favorable or, or like stronger growth path, yeah. it definitely makes sense to also 
you know, adapt the infrastructure to that and probably be a little premature in your infrastructure, yeah, in the sense, you know, build something too big a little bit too early, especially if you're in a venture yeah. capital setting. I mean, one has to say, I mean, if you're a bootstrap company, yeah. it's probably a little different, but I think that's one of the best uh, ways to spend venture capital, yeah, yeah. Is, is like on uh, people that are probably too good for your current stage and, and on systems that are probably too good for your current stage because I think the, the key learning is the moment you start to really grow, then your systems aren't the right kind of yeah. uh, support, uh, then that really is a big problem and, and can hamper your growth. So I think that that makes a lot of sense and and uh, yeah, it's one one of the key is one of the key learnings. Yeah. So um, I think that that has been or have been some of the the, the key issues we've been uh, talking about here at or have been working on here at Project A in terms of sales. Uh, we hope you found that interesting. If you have any questions to either uh, Christoph or me, but probably to Christoph because he's much more knowledgeable in, in, in these areas, then uh, you can just look in the show notes below and, and you'll find an email address on how to reach us. I think it's something like podcast at Project A or something, but it will be in the, in the, in the show notes and uh, we're more than happy to answer your questions um, if, if you should have some. And otherwise, uh, I want to point out that we are actually having lots of jobs uh, at Project A, so you should ch check out uh, the Project A job page, um, which is on our website. And, uh, and Another thing is that I really want to point out lots of uh, the knowledge that you've heard here today. Uh, Christoph will also be presenting. You'll see at our Project A Knowledge Conference, which is happening on the 27th of September. Um, you can apply on our website um, for Wildcard. It's a free event. Uh, one day full of knowledge and I think there's also a party at the end to finish this off so there certainly, uh, is. There certainly is so that's good and also the party is for free yeah so but it's more about the knowledge not so much about, about the party but we would very much be looking forward to seeing you there thanks a lot for listening and uh, hope you'll uh, yeah you'll join into our next podcast which will probably come out in two weeks thanks a lot thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>